So I'm going to share a, a mimer as this class is evolving. What's happening, Stam, is, is that I'm also teaching more or less this mimer Shabbos morning. And the people, sometimes people come here and come there. So I'm already making a greater effort for there to be a lot left for Shabbos. It's a very big topic, the topic of garments. I mean, this is Mamash, you can speak a lot. There's a lot of Hasidis that is very deep and very meaningful and very relevant. The reason why the topic is garments because this Parsha deals with the making of the garments of the Koyhanim. And let me begin with a story. Maybe we'll conclude with a story and we'll share a couple of very, very beautiful Beautiful meaning, big ideas and also practical ideas. The first Rebbe of Pshischa, his name was Yerachmiel. The story is attributed to him that from his Hasidim, he had one that became a tailor. And in as much as in Eastern Europe, there was real anti-Semitism, you, re- you needed to be really, really good to get out there and to service the non-Jewish world. This tailor was that good. He he got he got Goyesha he got Goyesha clients and and he got as he got better he got the prince. Whenever you read these stories, it sounds like every village had a prince. I don't know how prince the prince was. Was it the prince from the country, the prince from the state, the prince from the city, the prince from the block? But some real Khashiva client, and he made it. That was, he made it. And that prince hired him for a wedding. Even more. I mean, see, he needed to get the best tailor. Bechlal, the way it normally would work, is that, is that, um, you, you, the, the client would buy the merchandise, which was expensive. How much money did these tailors have? You would do the service, and you would get paid for your service. Once you start servicing the noblemen, they had a whole different way of doing business, and it was normal in that realm, on that level. If you were hired, you went out of pocket, and then when you gave the garments, you got paid a lot of money. You made a lot of money, but that's the way it worked. They were not nickel and penniling you. They were not. They were not negotiating with you, but you needed to do the investment. For this tailor, that wedding, he made the garments for the chassan, for the kala. I don't know for how many family members. It was the biggest job of his life. All in, all of his capital went in there, and he made a beautiful job. And the day comes, you know, when you make garments custom make, you try it on once, you try it on twice. Everything was going great. The final product, delivery, he goes to the to the prince. The prince tries on his garments, and he looks in the mirror, and he was horrified. He was disgusted with what he was looking. And he says to the Jew, what, you're trying to uh, hurt me? to make me look like a nebach for the wedding of my son. And and he began to, 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 to really badmouth him of the horrible work that he did, which made absolutely no sense. And he was so angry that he picked up the garments and he picked up the Jew and he threw him out of his palace. What do you do with that? So this was all of his capital. This was the loss of reputation. This could have had consequences for the Jewish community. He, had no, he, he picked everything up and he went to his Rebbe. He went to the Rebbe of Pshischa and he told the Rebbe what happened. He told the Rebbe, we need, I need divine intervention. The Rebbe told him, don't, don't, don't become dejected. You do what I'm, I'll tell you and everything will be turned around. 
Okay, what should I do? Rabbi says, take all of the garments, clean it off, go back to your studio, undo the stitches, undo the stitches, but make sure that you see where the stitches were and restitch it exactly the way it was. Wow. He says, Rebbe, Rebbe, you're not listening to me. If I'm going to do the same thing, I'm back to the problem. The Rebbe says, you came to me to advise or you want to give me advice? Who's giving who advice? And you have to have courage. And he did what the Rebbe told him and he unstitched it, he restitched it, but exactly the same. The Rebbe told him every stitch has to be in the same place. Uh-huh. All the clothing. All the clothing. Wow. And he had the courage. I mean, he was kicked out of coming back. Hashem, at that day, he was in a good mood, he had good breakfast, and he allowed him in. And the Jewish, the Chassa, tells him, try on the garments. Now you'll love it. Okay, he goes into his room with the mirrors, puts on the begged, and he, he doesn't apologize, God forbid, but he tells the Jew, this, this. This is what I wanted. This is why I went out and I hired a Jew like you. And he thanked him, and he praised him, and he paid him, and he gave him a tip. The chassid goes back to the Rebbe and says, Rebbe, I, don't, I need to understand what happened. And the Rebbe told him that this is really a big part of the Maimon, of the Alter Rebbe's Maimon. The Rebbe of Pshischa told, told him that, that when you made the garments for the prince, being that you got hired by the prince, you were so filled with arrogance and gaiva and haughtiness that you are making the garments for the prince, he says when he put on the garments, he saw arrogance, he saw your gaiva, and it was disgusting. The Rebbe used the same words the guy used. <laughs> he says, what happened the second time? He says, you were heartbroken, you were humbled ka'afra da'ara, you actually, every stitch was a prayer that God should have mercy on you. you it was filled with kedusha, it was filled with humility. He says when, the, when this person put on the garments, he saw the humility, how beautiful it is, and that's what happened. And the prince was that highly elevated. The prince was spiritually sensitive, yeah. Okay. I want you to know that there are certain parts of Yiddishkeit, like Lamashal Matzah, that in as much as we know technically what the mitzvah is, it's to take from the five grains, only from the five grains, and we have to do A, B, C, and make matzah. Nowadays, machines can make it. The reason why we are so careful not to have machine-made matzahs for the Seder, not because it's not kosher or Pesach, it's not chametz, is because when we do something, there, there's two parts of what we're doing. There is the physical of what we're doing, and then there is some ruchnias dika doing, and the ruchnias the dika doing has to do with the kavana of the doer. Not everyone can see it. Begashmias, the same matzah from the machine, the same matzah from a person. A yid has to make matzahs. Beruchmias, for it to have the koyach of matzah. Tzitzis, a garment, coming to the garments. Now with machinery, we can have machine-made tzitzis, God forbid. God forbid, because if a machine makes tzitzis, the tzitzis is not kosher, and no one would know. You can have machine sefer toyer, tefillin, mezuzahs. Scary. You can watch online how they made machines to make, to write it, which is the end the end of the world because it's not valid if it was made by a machine because it's not just about the final product. Begashmi is, it has to do with the maker of it. The maker has to be a Jew. By the way, in the case of tefillin, getting a little bit side, it has to be a man, not a woman. And oy vay voy now to the to so many segments of the Jewish people that from their ignorance even if they are well-intended, but from their ignorance, 
that they're advocating for women, you know, to take positions that halachically they're not allowed to take, including writing Sefer Torah mezuzahs. And how would you know? You wouldn't know. It's the end of the world. It means you can look at a, a, a mezuzah, you can check it, and it's halachically not kosher. And with a tefillin. If a woman wrote it, it's not kosher. That's in the Gemara. It's the oral Torah, which is uh, tragically rejected by Apikursim that are very much alive today. Saying with the war now that women are allowed to tie tzitzis. Oh, I want to say like this. That with tzitzis, so there's a machloikis. Just to speak about that, um, let me just tell you the source. This is a gemara. In the Shema, we're familiar with the Shema. When Hashem juxtaposes, that means when He puts two mitzvahs one near the other, there's a reason why they neighbor each other. In the Shema, in the first portion, we read, Ukshartem al yodecha, tefillin, so the Gemara says, those who are commanded to wear tefillin are able to write the mezuzah. And mezuzah doesn't only mean mezuzah, it means mezuzah, tefillin, and Sefer Torah. Those who are not commanded to wear tefillin are not qualified for ruchnias dekah reasons, which the Maimon might explain, these ideas, in, in writing stam. Stam is Sefer, sefer Torah, tefillin, mezuzah. That's how it's spoken amongst the people that are more learned. The Rabbein Otam, one of Rashi's grandsons, wrote, and we follow, Sfardim and Ashkenazim follow his ruling, that this part of Orwell Torah isn't only about mezuzah and tefillin. It's about any mitzvah that women are not obligated to keep. If a woman is not obligated, she cannot make it. That would include, now just to know for the record, I know people should know it, that when people say women are not obligated to wear tzitzis, that's the halacha, there's a machlekes. In the oral Torah, there is a machlekes. Actually, the majority opinion hold that women are mukhayif to wear tzitzis, just to put it out there. Um, no one holds that women have to wear tefillin. Big difference. And by tzitzis, there is a machlekes that we paskin that tzitzis need not be worn at night. And therefore, it's a time-bound mitzvah, and therefore women are exempt. If I'm not mistaken, I didn't uh, even think about speaking about this, I think it's um, only Rav Shemar Bar-Yechoi who has that opinion. He's the minority. We normally don't follow the minority. I think the Chachamim hold that tzitzis has to be worn by day and by night. And if that would be the case, then women are mukhuiv towards tzitzis, then women can make tzitzis. No. Okay, so the the women today that are wearing tzitzis, it's really, really not the end of the world at all. At all. Gesundheit. Mamish gesundheit. Women wearing tefillin is halachically more problematic. Also, not the end of the world. Yeah, in the, in the conservative movement. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were tzitzes, they were tefillin. Um, uh, Michal wore tefillin, it says in scripture. And um, I, don't mind, I don't know if I shared it here. It was Mamish, this is from God gave me a Ruach HaKadosh. I was sitting with a conservative rabbi, Rebetzin. You can't call them Rebetzin. And we know they all mean well. A while back, and I think I had my son Simcha. I had one of my sons who was not even by mitzvah. And so I, I and she asked me, why can't a woman wear tefillin? And let me tell you the real answer, just to know what it means. It's good for us, from a people, the ones who accept the Orval Torah, to know what it says. The words that are so twisted is because a woman does not have a gufnaki. A clean body. Let me tell you what it means. Okay, but before, let me just back up a second. 
Women are exempt from time-bound mitzvahs. They don't have to keep it. The question is, could they keep it? And why not? Because we're not allowed to add to the mitzvahs. Maybe doing a mitzvah that you're not obligated to keep is in violation of adding. We paskin that women are allowed to add. Everyone. The next step will be, okay, you can do it. Not just you could, and you get a mitzvah. Just you're not obligated. It's a whole different perspective. You're not obligated, but if you do it, you're doing a mitzvah. You're getting, you're connecting yourself to God. Can you make a bracha? Why would you not be able to make a bracha? Because in the text of the bracha, we say not only that we are becoming holy by the mitzvahs, which is true, we are also saying, "You commanded us vitzivanu." Women are not commanded. Hmm. We are not allowed to change the formulation of a bracha. So the option is not take out that word. Either say it or you can't say it. That is a machlekes that ultimately boils down to Sfardim and Ashkenazim. Sfardim do not make a bracha. It means when we go Muftsayim, when you shake the lulav, you don't make a bracha. For and Ashken women. for women, women, yeah. And and by Ashkenazim, women make the bracha because Vitzivanu doesn't mean me. It's in the plural. We, the Jewish people. Okay. So based on these rules. Even if, not if, we paskin that sitzes, women are not obligated. Question is, could they? Why not? Women hear the shoifar. We make, by Ashkenazim, we make a bracha just for the woman hearing the shoifar. Women sit in the sukkah. You're not obligated. But whenever you sit in the sukkah, you're doing the mitzvah of sitting in the sukkah. You do, and you make a bracha. You, women make a bracha. So why would tefillin be different? So indeed, by tzitzes, I mean, there are some people that say that it looks haughty. Uh, you know, when women begin to keep that which they're not obligated, by men also. In other words, if, if I start doing things in public that I don't have to do, but I'm going beyond the letter of the law, there is this thing, do it privately. Okay, that's that's not gender related. But by tefillin, the, the sage says women should not wear tefillin because they don't have a clean body. Um, let me, let me, yeah, let me, I don't want to stop in the middle. It's like okay. this, just for this. Okay. Sure. Um, there are certain bodily functions that children, whatever their ages, two years old, three years old, one years old, today, parents, for some reason, I know this from Sterry School, they're not potty training their children. I don't know what the heck is going on. <laughs> like, like you can laugh, it's, it's, some, it's, some, it's some issue with something, something is off. But at some point, God made us that we are able, even when we're sleeping, if we're healthy, uh, to control most of our body movements um, and they are, even though that these, it's all natural, it's all natural, but there is a certain amount of um, personalizing God. God. God doesn't have a body. For Hashem, what if I smell good or smell bad? Is there a difference? From one perspective, no. But from my perspective, if I'm going to go to God, if I go in front of a meeting, I get dressed up nicely, what God is less than that. So dress nice for davening, be clean for davening, and that cleanliness will also include many halachas about a person cannot relieve themselves during davening, especially when they're wearing tefillin because God's name is written on it so many times. And by a woman, gufnaki means is that from when a woman has her monthly cycle, that's a bodily function that a woman cannot control. It's not within your control. That's the meaning of gufnaki. Nothing wrong with it. And it's not about nida. It's not because, because a man can be tummy with a much worse tumor. Means if I go into a cemetery, I can wear tefillin later. It's not about the tumor, it's about the cleanliness of it. Push it.
Just like if a person physically is soiled, like you should know halachically, people are in the hospital, elderly people, and they lose function of the of their body, and and now it's taka very nice. But basically, if you would look what's going on under the hospital bed, many times the the bodily fluids that people go to a restroom for is gathered. There are halachic issues about it. Could they daven? Could they not daven? It's not visible. It doesn't smell. There's like a lot of that, that technical part of halacha. It's not about the technical part, but you have to know the halachas. So that's the meaning of gufnaki. That would be the reason why this is probably the only positive mitzvah. That it's not that women are not obligated, but actually they are advocated not to wear it because they don't have gufnaki. That's the, that's the meaning. Now, by the way, once you know the meaning of it, that's the meaning of it, that would imply that if a woman is either very regular and she knows it's not that time, or if a woman is in that phase in, the, in life where it's not happening anymore, according to that, she, won't, she would not be obligated, she would be permitted. And that's why when Shaul, uh, Hamelech's daughter, Michal, wore tefillin, that's what it was. Either she was young, but she knew when to wear it and when not to wear it, or she was already after menopause. Stumped oh, or when she was pregnant. In other words, okay, that's gufnaki. Now, I, 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 it's so important to know this because when people read that, I'll just speak blunt. The Gemara is speaking about venting ear. And why is it that for boys, for your machanach kids to do to wear tzitzas from when they're three? We're machanach our kids to do mitzvahs from when they're very young. Tefillin is the only exception because of venting ear. That's a bodily function that many people are not mindful of enough. And even though a person who wants to could control his bodily function over there, but uh, he might not respect it. And even that is disrespectful, very infilling. And the word gufnaki is used there. So when people read gufnaki by the woman, they think that for some reason women are different than men. They can't control that function in their body, which is very, um, it's not true. It's not emis. And that's one of the issues that uh, non um, the people that don't believe in the Torah don't yet admit that they believe in the Torah, they take issue with this. Like, why can't women wear tefillin? They want you to get, if you're learned, you're going to quote the Emes, you're not going to make up gufnaki, and and women don't have gufnaki, and, and they say, it's not true, it's not true. Women can, are just like men. If they want to control them, they, 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 they'll control themselves. So what did you tell the conservative My problem was, is that I was sitting, she doesn't understand that in the firmer world, uh, for good or bad, again, that's another whole topic, mm-hmm. that when it comes to inyanim of bodily functions, especially private bodily functions, um, I know most of this is not healthy. I'll, I'll be moida. Um, there's catching up to do. Um, generally, it's not comfortable, perhaps, for some reason, for parents to speak to their children, and it's helpful and important for parents to speak more, the mothers with the daughters, the, son, the, the fathers with their sons. I know that's an important thing, but we don't introduce these topics to our kids when they're 12. Even though you learn in the Mishnah about a woman and about blood, me, not just me, all of my chaveidim, we had no idea what it meant until I became a chassan. Mamish. That's the way we were raised. My son was not even, he was sitting on the table. So I I knew this already issue, that they don't know what gufnaki means and they, they misunderstand it. They think it means that women cannot control if they're going to vent here or not. And they say, you see what the sages say is derogatory and check it. It's about emet. I'm going to speak about a woman with her cycle. Mamish. And, and, and so I told her that 
While your son was sitting there. While you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she meant well, because in her world, also a 12-year-old should know about this. They know about it. So, you know, it depends what, what world you live in. So I told her that that you wear the tefillin on your head. You wear the tefillin on your upper arm. It's not modest. It's not sneezing. And I says, especially if she's married, where she's going to take off her shaitel to put on the head tefillin. She was so impressed with that. She says, wow, I never heard that. Neither did I. <laughs> like, I didn't tell her that. And she was makabalit. She was makabalit. Not in Sanat Sanoa. <laughs> that's a great answer. Like, how are we going to put in the... <laughs> not yet. But that's not the real answer. It's not the real answer because, because a woman can put it on her arm and on her head. Uh, she might not do it in the minion in front of men, but uh, that's a whole different topic. But clearly, Machal wore tefillin. There's always places. Also, Rashi's daughters? Rashi's daughters is a legend, meaning it's made up. It's Baba Mises. Rashi's daughters were uniquely learned. Like, uniquely learned. And they are, you know, a lot of the, the Rashi had great grandchildren in learning, great, for sure, because they had a role model, both in father and mother, in scholarship and learning. That means to be learned, you have to learn every day. Not you're learned because they, they learn it. So they didn't. They did not put on Some of them might have given classes. They, for sure, some of the writings of Rashi were rewritten by his daughters. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, oh, I was just getting at tzitzis. I was just saying, oh, oh. So all of this. So it's like a since tzitzis. So I guess tzitzis, according to the Rabbeinu Tam, women should not make tzitzis because they're not obligated to wear tzitzis. But like I mentioned, there is an opinion that holds that women are obligated. In the first world war, in the first world war, like now, a phenomena, soldiers, now there wasn't a Jewish army, but everyone was drafted, no matter what country you belong to. Many Jews went to fight for whatever country they were living in, and they really wanted to wear tzitzis. And there was a huge shortage in, in talus cottons. Hmm. And, and, and it was such a shortage that questions were asked to great halachic authorities Regarding this din, if you can have women and men making tzitzis, you'll be able to produce tzitzis double the amount. You're doubling the makers of tzitzis. And the Rebbe Rashab, not alone, but I'm saying where Lubavitch said that we are going to rely on that opinion and women should make tzitzis. To make tzitzis, to make sure that every soldier had tzitzis because in the Mishnah you have a machloikas whether women are obligated or not. And that's why it, it was resurfaced. It was resurfaced that now in this war, it's amazing, inspiring how soldiers, even if they had no chinuch, they want to keep mitzvahs, what they could, they want to wear tzitzis. It was like a craziness with talus cotton, and there was a shortage. You could not get talus cotton. Right now, it's in Israel. Well, now it's already getting better. So you have to understand, you had moistus, like they had over here in someone's house, I don't know if you, that people went ahead and they began to make, I mean, every step of it. The, the threads are not allowed to be made by machine. Even the strands, they have to be they have to be twisted. L'shem mitzvah sitzes. That's back to the mimer. So you have to have kavana. Machines don't have kavana. Mm-hmm. It's not just it should be made begashmi is okay. You have to have a maker of it. And yeah, and therefore for this war, I know not only Lubavitch, but generally in the modern Orthodox, you're more lenient. Generally in the Haredish world whatever more machmer means, more machmer. In this topic, we were very lenient. We advocated, 
I only found out about it when I heard that someone in our community made up some Matzah Shabbos the first time to have men and women, and I always know that there's an issue with it. Normally, we don't have women making it. There's a question mark. And then oh, I was told that uh, the Rebbe Rashab, on this case, during a war, during a war, he said, if soldiers want to wear tzitzes, men and women, if women want to make it. Okay, so let, so the, I want to just come back to this to the story that when you make a garment, the kavana that you have when you make it is extremely powerful. So let's go back to the parsha, at least to, to get the question, and I'll speak as much as the time will allow. When the trader, this is yesterday's chitas, when the trader introduces the mitzvah of the making of the garments, I'm not even talking about the wearing of the garments. The trader repeats itself three times, which is that in itself is problematic, but what's very enlightening is that the first time we record the mitzvah to make tzitzis, it's a mitzvah that God gave to Moshe Rabbeinu. You, va'ata, is Moshe Rabbeinu. You make the begotten. In the next verse, it says that va'ata tedaber el kol chachmeilev, that the wise people should be the ones making the big day kahuna. And then it says in the next Pasik that they should make the big day kahuna. They means everyone. And the Alter Rebbe, who introduces, this is a very Hasidic question. I mean, this he's the one that focuses on it. Is that, hold on. If it was something that can only be made by Moshe, then only Moshe. If it can be made by Chachmei Leiv, why did you have to give it to Moshe? Moshe is also a Chacham. And especially if it can be made by everyone, so right, by almost all the other parts of the temple, it says they should make, meaning they, the Jewish people. We should make, you should make, they should make, depends how it's written. But why is it written, Moshe, Chachmei Leiv, and the people? And that's the premise where the Alter Rebbe is coming and saying like this. What are garments? What are garments? What's the purpose of a garment? So it says in the Parsha that the reason that God commanded us to make garments for Aaron Akoyin, they, the garment, should be lechavod uletifaris. Lechavod uletiferet. Kavod means honor. Tiferes means beauty. I know it means many other things. That's a very simple but accurate translation. So there are two different functions. And let me already right away dive in. And these two functions, both of them, there is that product being made by Moshe, that product being made by Chachmei Leif, and that same COVID antifadas being made by all the people. It's not that complicated. And the details get, get, get detailed, but the idea is beautiful. One more, one more intro, then I'll come right back to garments. Many times we use the word Shechina. Shechina. In reference to God, uh, the Shekhinah should be in your house. The Shachanti Besoicham. Many times we use the word Hakadosh Baruch or in Kabbalah Kucha Brichu. In the prayers from the Alter Rebbe, in the Siddur of the Alter Rebbe, based on the Arizal, once we say Leshem Yichud Kucha Brichu Ushchinte. By Sfardim, almost every mitzvah before they do it, they say that we're doing the mitzvah to make a union between Kuchabrichu and Shechinta, what does that mean? So at least to know the words of what it means, not to know what it means, to get to know where am I going, where am I going to find out what it means. The Shechina is 
what we would call the lowest level of godliness, the part of Hashem that can almost become visible. Whenever a person says, wow, um, I saw the hand of God, let's say, Hashgacha Pratis, that will be another way of saying that the Shekhinah was with me. Shekhinah was? With me. Shekhinah is with us. Right. When things happen, miracle, when, when things that are happening are perceived to be happening because of divine intervention, we don't know God, we don't see God, but the, we would use the word Shekhinah. Shekhinah is the part of Hashem that affects the physical world. It's the closest to the physical world, so it rests in the physical world. Shekhinah. Kuchu is, since we know God is greater from anything we can understand, certainly God is greater from anything that we can experience. Kadosh means removed. That there is a level of God that's greater than this. Can we have access to Kedusha if the definition of Kedusha is something that's removed from us? So then Kedusha should be something always removed from us. So this is how it works. Shechina is not removed from us. We are able, because of our Avoida, we are able to be worthy to house the Shechina. The Shechina is by default housing Kuchabricho. If we take the Shekhinah and we hurt it, we we um, we blemish it. Huh? Hurt, hurt. hurt. Mm-hmm. If we blemish the Shekhinah, then Kuchabrichu departs. So when we had the temple, what did we have access to? Well, the temple housed the Shekhinah. Kuchabrichu is connected to the Shechina. It's almost like, this is just a metaphor, right? In a good marriage, so you have the husband and the wife, all right? So when the home is being run properly, then the husband wants to be home. He goes away during the day, but he's attracted to come back home. When there's something off in the Shechina, what happens? The the Kuchabrichu doesn't want to come or cannot come. Shechinta, Bigalusa, the Shechina never goes away. Shechina gets um, trapped. Shechina gets taken hostage. It means Hashem, the part of the Shechina is so close to us that we, we never lose it, but we abuse it. That's why some people were very spiritual and they did horrible things with that spirituality. That was the Shechina. The Shechina we have somehow. Question is, are we going to properly channel the Shechina or are we going to hurt the Shechina or will we dirty the Shechina? When the Shechina is being channeled the right way, then Kuchabrichu comes back to the Shechina. But isn't there the concept like in the Vesim and Kush, like if some things weren't as they needed to be, the Shechina left? We're going to use in this model the words Kuchabrichu left. We're going to use in this context the idea that miracles in nature of nature is Shechina. And I said, things are working my way, everything. And Kuchabricha are real miracles, miracles. So in the first temple, there were real miracles, like completely beyond nature, unexplainable miracles. 
because because God was here. What about the second temple? The Shekhinah was with us. We had a temple. But Kuchubricho no longer was here. And these, this is a very important basis of understanding ideas and Kabbalah. But I want to try to make us apply it. But this is big. Shechina Kuchubricho. So what's, what's the Shechina? Because Shechina has Kuchubricho. And then it can leave. And, and then Shechina can be hurt. So what is she? Or it? So look, so we, we use... Well, not exactly. You look if you look at a couple. I mean, that's why we have this metaphor. What what is a woman without a husband? She's a woman without a husband. You can't say that uh, she is. Let's speak about kids. So a single mom. So there's a, a kid being raised by a single mother. There's a mother. And God forbid, no one should misunderstand that I'm saying that uh, the single mothers in reality is because something was wrong with them. Many times something was wrong with their husbands. I'm not implying that at all. Just like, I, I'm going to give them a shalom. The idea is, is that it, it's possible, not only possible, that on some level we always have access to the Shekhinah. But when the Shekhinah is not united with Kuchubrichu, then mystical words, mystical words, the Shekhinah becomes very harsh, very judgmental, big din. To, to sweeten the din... You have to have the union of Kuchubrichu Shechintei. And the reason in this model that Kuchubrichu doesn't come to the Shechina is because we, we, through our choices, we we kidnap the Shechina almost. We we hurt the Shechina. Shechinta bigalusa, that's why we, the sages say, Shechina loizazamim kaima. So we say the Shechina never left the Kaisalama Ravi. Because this idea that the Shechina doesn't leave, the Shechina can be hurt, can be blemished, can be humbled, but it's never uh, departing. Kuchabrichu is too elusive from us. Kuchabrichu is something that even we never directly get Kuchabrichu. But when the Shechina is good, Kuchabrichu comes. So L'Shem Yichud is like a prayer that we say. That means I want, when I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm connecting myself to the Shechina. If my mitzvah is done properly, then there'll be a Yichud Kuchabrichu Let's listen. Let these ideas percolate. Kavayid, Kavayid, Shechina. Kavayid is connected to the feminine. Honor. Women need honor. And by the way, women need clothing. Mystically, much more than men. Kavayid. A man will be, by nature, at least the world that I come from, everyone can wear the same black and white. You have to be neat, and you're, you're good. God forbid if you're wearing the same dress that someone else is wearing. And it's not, not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing because it's a lack of covet. So the kavayit, these are the words, the kavayit goes on the shechina and tiferet goes on kochabrichu. Now listen to this. Garments, garments are channels of light. That's the chiddush of the Alter Rebbe. And that's even practical. That means that if you, you have within you a certain type of light, Light without a keli cannot is worthless. Physical light is only functional because it's bouncing off something. If there's nothing for light to bounce off, why is it that in the outer space it's pitched black? Because there's no keli. You can be a million miles closer to the sun, it will be pitch black. It means when you look at the sun, you'll see the sun. But everything else is black. Why is it black? Here, whenever we're facing the sun, it's lichtik. Because there is a lack of a keli. A keli, 
These are big ideas. We have to know how to make them real. But the vessel, without a vessel, light can never be revealed. Not physically, because not ideally, conceptually. What's the difference between Kaylee and Vessel? Kaylee and Vessel is the same thing. Same thing. So within us, there's all different types of lights within the person. And the garment, Begashmias, allows and is needed for a specific light to be channeled. <coughs> and not only, not only does the does the garment channel the light, channel a light, but you have the Shekhinah light. Let me suggest perhaps, Shekhinah is the ego. The ego is what we all have. We can hurt our ego. We can inflate our ego, unhealthy ego. But a non-Sadiq can never get rid of the ego. You're like, I. The I is your Shekhinah. But in your I, let's go, you have a Neshama. You have something that is egoless. By the way, today's Tanya. Only a tzaddik can say, I am, I am my soul. Today's, today, today, the 10th day of other edition, middle of chapter 28. A, a, a non-tzaddik, when they say I, they don't mean they're neshama because it would be a sheker. I can say the words. That's not who I am. I am I. I'm many things, not just my soul. I have a neshama. Neshama shenosato bi. That prayer already says the emes, which is almost 99.99 of people have that emes. So there is something in me that's elusive to me. I don't even know what my what, what is your soul? What is your nusha? I don't know. If my if my shechina is healthy, then I can have access to it. If my shechina, let's say, becomes inflated, that's the general cancer, the inflation, the gaiva, the arrogance, then uh, I lost access to my my kedusha. I, I don't. I, there is kedusha in me. I just cannot access it. It cannot connect to me. So a person has a certain part of their ego that has to be channeled in a good way. Garments affect that. We, sh- we have to know more the chachma of garments. I'm not even talking about the colors of the garment. That's another, that's part of it, but that's a part of it. But the garment itself, like bediuk, the way the trader describes, this type of garment, I don't know that chachma. This garment will channel your wisdom. When I grew up, you had these uh, comic books in Brazil, the smart hat. You have to put on a hat and then you become enlightened. Uh, but that's not a shtus. That means that there is some beged that if you wear it, it's going to bring out, it's going to channel something that's in you, but it's not manifesting. And every beged, the purpose of a beged is to channel Aleph, your covet, your honor. Honor is also ego, not that ego. To honor someone is not to falsely flatter them. Every person needs to be bachavadik. Bachavadik is good. Bachavadik, maybe that's like a word, the healthy ego. I need my dignity. I need my dignity. The neshama doesn't need to have dignity. It's beyond that. But we need dignity. Covet. Garments give a person dignity. Or the lack of it. If the person's garment is wrong, too big, too small, there was a whole, there was a cute story, so many stories, that... Um, it's obviously hard to concentrate. That there was um, 
in Purim Tavshin Chavav, the Rebbe, this is a one-time miracle, there is an expression that we say that sometimes when people ask you for help, you have to look at the recipient. You can't just give to anyone, to everything. It's Hefkerveld, sometimes you give to the wrong place. It says certain times a year, Erev Yom Kippur, on Purim, it says, Kol HaPoshet Yad Noistlinloi. Kol HaPoshet Yad, if anyone extends their hand, you have to give them. And the Rebbe was fabringing and fabringing and he went into that zone and he says, Kol HaPoshet Yad Noistlinloi. When the Rebbe just said that, the, the whole 771 went on fire. And what the Rebbe gave, what did he, he was giving his blessings through Mashka. But they, I mean, this is already, even my older brother, the older, the people that grew up in the 60s, they were old enough to be there. It was chaos. It was chaos and people were coming. The Rebbe, when the, and the Rebbe didn't stop when he went out to his car after the Fabreng and the whole world was coming to get from the Rebbe a blessing. They came with a cup. He gave, he gave Mashka. He was giving Mashka. So someone had to run with him. It was chaos. I heard that the whole roof of the Rebbe's car got flattened. He couldn't because when he went into the car, people jumped on the car. He couldn't go on the car anymore. And then he walked home. And then home, it was, the Rebbe wanted that. He said, he was asking for the trouble. And he took it by Ahava. So the genius of the Rebbe, this happened very often, is that I don't care how many people went by. If you went by twice, the Rebbe called you out. You know, you know how you know how amazing, you know what kind of godliness that is? And there was a person that went twice, and with a big smile, the Rebbe says you were you were already here. So he told the Rebbe, And this is so funny because cop in English is a cop. What happened was the Rebbe gave a mashke and there was a hole in his cup. And the mashke leaked out. But he understood that he was a chacham, he was a smart chacham. He wasn't expecting for the Rebbe to ask him that, but he was also shrewd. He told the Rebbe, I have a hole in my head. Yeah, I need help. The Rebbe laughed, they say, I had a hole in my cup, in my cup. And the Rebbe gave him a full cup of mashke. Wow. <laughs> Lucky guy. Lucky guy. But what, what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to say is like this, is that a keli, there's a big chachman de keli. Chachman de keli. Again, a hole... Whatever you put in there will go out. Many times we want to channel something and we create something, but there's a hole. However you understand that. Sometimes the keli is too little. Sometimes the keli is too big. By the way, there's so many halachas. The garments of the coin had to be fitted. Mamash fitted. Not too big, not too small. That's to fit. If it's not, it doesn't give you dignity. It makes you look like a shlump. It makes you look like who knows what. Mam begashmias. So, so listen to these words. Just to conclude with these, with these ideas. Moishin Abeinu represents Mesiras Nefesh. That means a person who is beyond everything. Mesiras Nefesh. Mesiras Nefesh will mean to give up your life to God. So again, there's the making of the garment, the sewing it. That we know. Begashmias, we can know what that means. But who is making it? So Moishin Abeinu's garment, if I were to wear a beggar that was made by Moishin Abeinu Halavai, it would somehow... Channel my power of Mesiras Nefesh. How great is that? Then you have Chachma, which is amazing, enlightenment. But for garments to be able to channel enlightenment, they have to be made by an enlightened person. And then you have the unique power, and that's the Hasidah celebrates the power of Stam people. Unique, Dafka, because they're not Mesiris Nefesh people. 
They're not even chachamim. They obe- they're obedient. Obedient, like an event. I don't. Kabbalah soil. And and uh, so if I, we all have that within us, but it's not coming out. We have the light. We need a keli. The begadim of the kohuna, the begadim that were made by a yid, that's a kabbalah soil, affected that when a coin wore it, when the coin wore it, it brought out his koyach of kabbalah soil. How great is that? So garments is, is, is Garments channel all of the koyach of your nefesh, including your superpowers. So the the I when you learn about this, so you begin to think like colors. Okay, which color is which? No, it, it, there was only four garments. There were only four garments. So which one was which? No, it's who made it. The Rebbe Marash. The Rebbe Marash had a physical ailment from his childhood connected to a circulation. It was so not good that he would have lost his hands and his feet if he would live that. In other words, there was not a, there was, the blood was not circulating. And the only way he can keep his limbs is by constantly doing unique exercises with the extremities of his fingers and of his toes. So it, it forced the circulation to go around. And he was taught as a boy how to be a carpenter. And there were things that he made with his toes. People who don't have hand, they have to lose how to use his toes. You know, they can even write with their toes. I don't know if, uh, how nice it will be. The Rebbe Madash needed to work his hands and his toes. And because of him being a carpenter, he used to say that when he looks at a table, at a chair, at a piece of furniture, he can tell you the characteristics of the person who made it and he can tell you the mood they were in the day that they made it. Um, not the Gashmias. Not because there was a it was a big dance, so the guy was angry or he was hungry. I don't think that. It's Kavaldi can think this. You have to just be very uh, spiritually sensitized for that. In Whoever goes now into the Rebbe's room, that's open for everyone. If you're going to walk into the Rebbe's room in 770, to the left of the Rebbe's Yechidah's table, there is a little round table that's covered. That table was made by the Rebbe Marash. And the Rebbe had it in his office, like a side round table. I for sure once saw it, I don't remember it, but I know now that it's open, it's covered. But I'm saying that this, this concept that you mamish put yourself in that which you do, but that is true even in furniture. But begodim bechlal, begodim are channels, let me go like this, both to your ego, and they are channels to your neshama. The covid and tifetis. And how do you manifest neshama? Or what part of the neshama do I want to manifest? It depends on the maker of the garments. How great that is. Who makes them? So, so that's the whole point of the Alter Rebbe, that the reason why God repeated it twice, because God wanted for some of them to be made by Moshe. And some of them were made by Chachmei Leif. And some of them were made by... Uh, you know, there, there, there's a minute by Hasidim. There's so much to speak about this. That when we go to the chuppah, we attempt to wear a begot of the Rebbe. I'm not saying that everyone was matzliach in doing that. Um, he, he stopped here in LA. And to give credit, right now, uh, I know of two families. One of them is the Weiss family. They have a shirt of the Rebbe that men who are supposed to wear a kittel to the chuppah by Lubavitch, not externally, covered. You won't see in Lubavitch there's going to be a coat over it or even a jacket over it. So we have, theoretically, 
uh, you have to know what conditions you have to meet, but you can get it from Weiss. And there is a Lapkovsky family that have a Yamuk of the Rebbe. How great is that? And then to give credit to Zavdi, my Chavar, I don't know uh, details. I know that by him, from my experience, it's mamish accessible for the girls, for the women, for the Kalas, that the veil is a begot of the Rebbe. Or of the Rebetzin, I don't know the details, but I'm saying that's a minig of old, that when you go to Yechupa, you wear a begot of the Rebbe. Gavaldik, I think, the big koyach. You have Sipurim, I heard not when I was young, not by Labavitch, from Litvisha, maybe from the glasses of the Chafetz Chaim, there's like a whole story about the sublime boy or girl, and Betoz, he put on the glasses of a tzaddik and his eye, his sight came back. Like things like that. A begged more than furniture, the purpose of a begged, the purpose of a begged is to, is to be the keli. It's a keli to a certain light that's in you. And the reason why the light is not being manifest is because there is no keli. We should hop that. If there's no keli, the light doesn't do anything. All of our rebbes, all of the aside of our rebbe, all of the six rebbes, when they would say my marim, they would say it to a individual and they would look at them. And if that individual was not there, they wouldn't say the minor. We can relate to that. Like sometimes a teacher, you can teach, but there's a certain type of chachma that somehow comes out of you with that student. I don't know how to explain it. You, you, the teacher didn't change, but to be able to, to the teacher himself to, or herself to come to a certain chap, to come to a certain level of enlightenment, it's not about their enlightenment. It's about there being a keli for it. The Rebbe Rashab that we know, the, the, the Rabbi Yolkan, his father, Rabbi Rafalkan, these are great, the great Hasidim of old. Rabbi Rafalkan was a Jew that because of his meticulousness of being kosher, and that means Pas Yisrael and stuff like that, he starved for most of his life. And there's a whole story how, how, how I forgot what it was, and then his kafia, that some chumrah and being careful what he puts in his mouth was kept, that after fasting for who knows how long, he did not eat something. Punk that night, the Rebbe Rashab was in the same city, and he called over his son, the Friedrich, who was young, and they told him to look out of the window, and they looked out of the window, and they saw a spiritual column of fire coming out of a home far away. Not a fire that we would see. Sadiqim saw that fire. And the Friedrich Rebbe asked his father, whose fire is that? He said, from Rafalkan. He says, the avoida of his iskafia that he did today, he didn't know what, was so great that, the, that a, a fire is coming out of him already. This Rafalkan recorded a lot about how it used to be when the Rebbe Rashab made the Lubavitch Yeshiva and how he used to share Hasidic Maimarim. Hasidic Maimarim were said to Bahram. These were great bachrim, but the way it worked was he. There's a beautiful description how they used to make a box, not a chest. They used to put tables as a box. That means you can't get in there. All of the boys sat around it, and they would sing nigunim Shabbos in the in the knowledge that the Rebbe Rashab is coming. They would sing nigunim for 30 minutes, for an hour, and at some point they were notified that the Rebbe was coming. The Rebbe lived in that complex. When the Rebbe would was coming, they were silent. When the Rebbe came, they stood up, they opened up the box, there was a chair in the box for the Rebbe Rashab to sit and for the Friedrich Rebbe to stand on the other side. And it was silent. Before a maimer was said, the Rebbe Rashab would look at his son, his son would look at him, he writes, sometimes they would they'd be locked like this for 30 minutes. 
with a with with a eerie silence, and then he would begin saying chasidus. And there was a there was a certain year in which he was giving over very deep chabad chasidic concepts. We call that the year of Tofrei Samach Vav. And there's we have all of the Maimonim that the weeks that the Rebbe the Friedrich Rebbe was not there, he would not give that talk. Wow. He needed his son to be there. And there were times that when he was saying the Maimir, the Friedrich Rebbe began to speak it with him, and no one was able to understand anything. And so it bothered everyone, but the Rebbe Rashab needed his son, and they became so connected that he began they began to speak together. In other words, that when when there was no 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 first they it were in silence and then even when he began to speak when the Rebbe Rashab there were times that the Friedrich Rebbe began to say the same word with him can you imagine two people that are saying the same it's not normal my point is is that we emphasize sometimes wrongfully on light I want to be enlightened when you are already enlightened you need the vessel to channel your enlightenment. Like there's so much in us. How can we do it in our life? I, I, what I was getting to, I was getting to Tachlis Dick, Mamish Dick, that a woman's class over here. I'm not saying men, but I know that in my life, I knew women that make begodim, whether a woman knit yamoklach or you make kartels or you make, uh, understand the koyach, just know what you're doing. When you're fixing, I'm talking about the Godem. When you're fixing a begged, when you're putting a hem on your eight-year-old son because he tore it again, or putting on a patch or whatever the minute now is to do, your kavana, your kavana of where you're at while you're making it will tremendously influence the person who's wearing that garment. It's not true about food. Preparing food? I don't know about food. This maimit is dafkam begodim. Because, because it's a, a food is a nourishment. Something else. I'm talking about channeling light. Can you do it when you fold the laundry? Nobody's sewing today. Nobody's sewing today. Should we get from a tailor? Could be. It could be. It's amazing. Amazing. It depends. It, it, I'm not going to use the word from. It's better to have a humble tailor. A humble tailor. A good, a good, a good natured tailor. Made in China. They make our machines. So yeah, but it's so this this whole part is way beyond that. And that also explains, like when we're speaking about this whole question, can women make a ta- whatever the talus is supposed to channel? Just a man and a woman, they have different energies, bachlal. So, so we paskin talachically better than not having tzitzis. Have a tzitzis that was made by a woman, but um, who knows what effect it could have? I mean, it is what it is. It's better than nothing. Has has an has an effect. When you're speaking about Interesting stuff. That I know from great tzaddikim. They would never lay on a bed if someone unholy laid on that bed before them. When the Rebbe's father would travel, he never slept on a hotel bed, ever. He would sleep on a chair. Always. Even if they changed the sheets? Everything. Garnished. Never. 
Not only that, there's a story from Mrs. Swerdloff, I heard her say it, I was very impressed just the way she spoke it, that 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 when the, the, when Rablevik came to her family, this, so so they had they had the pillows, so they needed more pillows, they borrowed pillow from a neighbor, and she put her own linen on it. The Rebbe's father walked into the bedroom, he knew, he says, whose pillow is this? She says, the pillow is from my neighbor. He says, I will not put my head on her pillow. I think the God am I even more powerful. The, the advantage of machine-made clothing is that at least there is no derogatory consequence. It's just soulless. We become soulless people, people without a soul. Bechlal. But we're not going to get a bad meter. We're just going to get no meters. It's going to like, uh, <laughs> I'm not feeling. Make begotten. Make something. Or maybe what you're saying also, the, the cleaning of the begotten. Something with begotten. And your the, the mood, the mood, the place of the maker will be imbued in the garment. And the wearer of that garment will benefit from it. Says the Alter Rebbe. It must be true about you too. <laughs>